0: Good morning. I guess we know who wasn't watching the clock as well as uh, as well as he should have been, huh? We do want to welcome you as we uh, gather this morning. For those who are uh, here present with us in person, for those online, we want to thank you for uh, taking the time to to join us there as well. Uh, just uh, an FYI, if you if you are present and you didn't notice, I do have the giving letters out on the table. Uh, when you first come in so you can pick up your giving letter from 2022, uh, and those are there for you. Uh, This week, most of the things that are going on are are regular things. We have the regular studies. We had a great chili cook-off and game night. Uh, I didn't get a count, but we had a pretty good crowd, and so uh, we look forward to having some more of those. Uh, Next Sunday will be our congregational meeting. So, uh, we'll have, uh, on your communication card, you have a little place you can mark. Hey, I'm coming. I'm going to get sandwiches. So I, I want to, you know, I'd like to know how many people I'm getting sandwiches for. We'll get sandwiches and chips, uh, for a little lunch after church. If you want to bring a side or dessert, feel free to, uh, we'll have a little lunch and then we'll just kind of go into, Hey, here's from 2022. Here's what we're looking at 2023. We'll give you a chance to uh, ask any questions that you have. Uh, So that'll be next Sunday. So just let us know if you'd like to come for that And I think that's all the announcements that I have so i'm going to pray so I can catch my breath and uh, Have some some worship and go to the lord. Let's pray Oh gracious and loving father we give you uh, thanks and praise for this morning and the opportunity that we have to Just come before your throne and prayer and praise and in worship and uh, Lord, we just ask that as we as we gather here today that we would truly just take a moment to reflect on our walk with you and our relationship to you and, uh, and whether uh, our life is really about just going through the motions and doing the bare minimum to, to help us feel good or if we're truly in a place where you've been welcomed into our heart, where our life is centered around you, where we are, are listening for your voice, where we're seeking your direction and where our, our heart's desire is that your name would be glorified. Father, that's where we desire to be, and so we just ask that you would help us to evaluate and to to recognize if if that's where we are, where our hearts desire is just for you to be honored and glorified through the lives that we lead. So we give this time into your hands. We we lift up any concerns that are upon our hearts. Uh, We just cast those burdens uh, upon you, Father, asking for your grace to supply for every need, and we just ask that you would be honored as we remember and say together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going
1: to be reading this morning from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. We start this morning with an old, oldie but goodie, if you would stand please, to God be the glory. just and good, and all his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. He has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. We continue on with Reckless Love. is the foundation of true wisdom all who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom praise him forever and we are so thankful that he is coming again
2: This morning we will be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the pharisees who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who has even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May the Lord's blessing be on the reading and Pastor Dan's message.
0: A little closer to on time this time, huh? <laughs> you know, I uh, I don't I don't know about the rest of you, but in my neighborhood, we're blessed with all sorts of opportunities. In fact, you might just say that opportunity often comes knocking on our door. For instance, we have opportunities all the time to add to our waistline. Uh, Somebody will come, hey, would you like some Girl Scout cookies? Or would you like some Boy Scout popcorn, right? Or we'll have opportunities come knocking on the door, hey, would you like a healthy lawn this year? Or we'll have opportunities that are more than willing to help us with any home project we might have, whether it's siding, doors, windows, roof, doesn't matter if you just did it, right? We want to give you that opportunity. Now, once in a while, uh, so once in a while, not as frequently, we also get the opportunity to talk religion. So I remember uh, one time we had a couple Jehovah Witnesses come to the door, and I've shared this story before. For so some of you forgive me if you've heard it before, but a couple Jehovah Witnesses come to the door and they knock and and they greet me with, not hello, not good afternoon, not how are you, sir. They greet me with, what do you think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Now, if I had known this response would be so effective, I might have used it on all the other solicitors that come to my door. Because then I responded with, well, I don't know, where would you like me to start? I did a whole series on Revelation. And they left. I was willing to have conversation. I don't know what their problem was, right? Uh, So, you know, many of us, we have the occasional solicitor who gets to the porch, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say you likely don't go over and above in making most of those solicitors feel welcome. You don't go and say, well, come on in. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Would you like something to drink? How about I make some fresh cookies while we talk? Or you're not likely to say, you know, I really don't have any home projects going on right now, but let's talk. Maybe I can help you hit your quota. You know, most of us, we're not going over and above trying to make them feel welcome. It's more likely that you're going to do the bare minimum, niceties, politeness, right? Thanks, but no thanks. Not interested at this time. I'm not buying what you're selling. You know, now I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. Some of you might not do the bare minimum of niceties and politeness. That's on you. I'm not concerned about that, right? Most of us. It's probably, I'm going to be polite, thanks, but no thanks. Now, as we continue in our Chronological Life of Christ series, we might be startled by the opening of today's text in verse 36, when it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, we might be a little bit startled because this is quite the contrast to the hostility, interrogations, accusations that we generally see with just a few exceptions from the Pharisees. So Jesus is invited to dinner. He's invited into his home. Seems like we're making a step right in the right direction now. I'm going to do just a little bit of housekeeping cuz with this series we're also doing a harmonization. So just an FYI in Matthew, Mark and John there's a similar story, but it also has quite a few differences. The reason being is it's a similar story, but it's a different story. Happens later in his ministry, later in time, right? So we're not doing a harmonization today. Uh, because that will happen a little bit later with some similarities, but some significant differences as well. So we'll deal with that when we get to it. But at this point, Jesus is invited to enter. Now that seems innocent enough. Nice break from the accusation of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors, which, you know, Jesus might have worn it like a badge of honor, but it was intended as an insult, and he would have understood it was intended as an insult. It's a nice break from the lack of faith being demonstrated by the people of Israel. It's a nice change from all the anger that's been aroused when he's been healing on the Sabbath. It's a nice change from the attacks regarding how his disciples have been practicing their faith because they're not doing it exactly the right way. How come our disciples fast and John's disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast? They're not doing it right, Jesus. Right. So it's a nice change from being accused of speaking blasphemies. These things have all happened at this point. It's a nice change for doing for the people, but not really being embraced by the people. Think about last week. Woe to you, Crizen, woe to you, Sudan, Uh If the miracles had been done, uh, Beseda, not Sadan, Woe to you, Crizen, uh, woe to you, <laughs> Beseda. If the miracles had been done, and, and uh, Be- Tyre and Sudan has been done in you, they would have repented, right? So kind of a nice change to have an invited in, or a nice change of pace. It's a rather polite gesture. Now, we might ask a question, and it's a good question to ask. What might the Pharisee's motives be? Now, it's possible that he plans to subtly interrogate Jesus, to entrap him. We certainly see that other occasions with the Pharisee. It's possible that he's just trying to keep up appearances, such as treating a guest rabbi to a meal, It's possible that he's investigating and inquiring into Jesus because, you know, I know what all the other guys are saying, but it just doesn't make sense. And some of these things are rather startling. So it's possible that he's investigating and inquiring. You want to know what the text says? It doesn't. It doesn't tell us what his motives were. All it tells us is Jesus is invited and Jesus accepts. Now, we're soon going to learn as we move through the text that Jesus is invited to dinner, and he's addressed politely, but he didn't receive the courtesies of an honored guest. That's going to get into the, uh, you gave me no water for my feet. Now, this is one of those uh, good examples of why we need to understand the culture of the time, right? When you come to my house, I'm not bringing you a bucket of water to cleanse your feet. I might give you something to drink, Hopefully not after you washed your feet in it, right? But, you know, uh, different culture, different time, right? We need to understand the culture of the time if we're to understand the text, right? So what we see is he's invited over, but he doesn't get any of the honored guest courtesies, right? Bare minimum is what the Pharisees given him. Now, scholars uh, pretty much agree that reclining at the table indicates that it's a formal occasion of some sort, uh, so they don't agree on what the occasion might be. It could be that Jesus is a visiting rabbi for a Sabbath, and so it's a formal occasion of treating the visiting rabbi for dinner for the Sabbath. Could be another festival. That's another detail it doesn't give us. Right, just that he's invited and they're reclining at the table. So it could be provision for Sabbath meal. It could be another banquet meal. Uh, it could be you know a, one uh, whatever occasion. Right, it doesn't give us that detail. But he's invited to the Pharisees' home. When a woman decides to crash the party, verses 37 and 38, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, who would you like? How would you like that reputation? When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet with an anointed them with the ointment. She, who shall not be named, because she's not named in the text, is only identified as a woman of the city, a sinner. Now, the text doesn't say with certainty, but most scholars presume prostitute. text doesn't say for sure, that's the presumption. Prostitute, perhaps adulteress, regardless. What we have is somebody with a reputation that stands in stark contrast to the reputable Pharisee, who we'll later learn is Simon, Now, you may be wondering, how did she get beyond the front porch and in the door? How did she crash this party? Now, the Pharisee, we learn his name is Simon, is a man of status in the community. Now, think about their culture, not our culture, all right? He's a man of status in the community. That means business and community affairs are being conducted in his courtyard. And it also means that when he throws a party, villagers are welcome to come and see the party, you know, we have a party, and we're like, you know, you're un- invited, RSVP. But when when he threw a party, the people of the community were welcome to witness the party. The more impressive the party was, the greater status he would gain. Mark Moore gets into some of this history and custom as well as some other scholars. So it kind of behooves him to throw a good party for everybody to see. It was also not unusual at that time that when a rabbi was invited to your house, others could stop to listen to the conversation. I mean, hey, if we have this guest rabbi over, why keep his message just to myself? So others could come and they could watch the conversation. Another piece of social custom, depending on the festive occasion or formal occasion, was that needy people were welcome to come if there were any leftovers from the banquet right? Better to serve it up to the needy than to throw it out on the street corner, right? So these were all customs of the time that she knew very well. So when we read the scripture, we need to understand this would not have been unusual for somebody to show up at the party. Now, what would have been unusual is somebody with her reputation showing up at his house. That would have caused quite a stir, And so she doesn't just crash the party, she becomes the focus. Now, an alabaster flask of ointment, alabaster flasks were expensive, as was the content. This isn't your typical inexpensive olive oil that was used for anointing. This was a costlier ointment. Now, I'm not the big one for movie references and stuff, but... Uh, any of you see the original Jurassic Park movie, however many years ago? Remember the line that he kept saying as they're giving the tour before everything went haywire? We spared no expense. That's the picture we have with this lady here on what she's lavishing on Jesus. She spared no expense. This is costly ointment. This is costly stuff that she's using to anoint his feet. Now, if you, uh, Jesus is reclining at the table and she stands behind Jesus at his feet. Now, don't think of this from our perspective today where you sit in chairs around a table or more likely and, you know, not to step on your toes where you sit in chairs in front of a TV, right, to eat your dinner, right? So, uh, you know, we're accustomed. We, we sit at chairs at the table or in front of the TV. You know, for them, uh, the table is going to be low. They would have been reclined on a cushion uh, with their head toward the table and their feet extending outwards, So she comes in, the feet's the first thing she has access to. And there she weeps, she wets his feet with her tears, she wipes them with her hair, she kisses his feet, she anoints them not with olive oil, which would have been customary for a guest, but with a more expensive ointment. Now, it's interesting to me, uh, sometimes, sometimes scholars get in and, and they de- debate the strangest things. And so, uh, you know, if you're reading through some, some scholars and commentators, they'll, they'll make a comment it's like, well, are these tears of repentance or are they tears of joy? And I just want to say, yes. <laughs> Why can't they be both? She's repentant for the lifestyle she's had, but she also has joy over what Jesus has done for her. In fact, you know, as we think about this text, we understand you move through the text, and why is she lavishing all this love on Jesus? Because he knows, she knows she's forgiven because of her faith. So their are tears of repentance and their are tears of joy. She understands what Jesus has done. She understands the message Jesus has brought, and she can't express enough devotion and love toward Jesus. So Jesus is going to explain that as you move through uh, as the basis for her lavish actions is is what uh, the faith and what she's done. And so with her, nothing she does is bare minimum, right? It's all over, above, and beyond expressing her devotion to Jesus. So now think about this picture for just a minute. Jesus is invited to Simon's home, but Jesus has found a home in her heart. Now, which one do you think is more important? Jesus is invited to his home, but he shows him no honor, no respect. He's polite, right? But he doesn't go over and above, but he's found a home in her heart. And the difference between her and Simon is not in the need for a Savior, but in the realization of their need. He, too, needs a Savior. He just doesn't see it as greatly as she does. So he's invited into Simon's home. Now for me, I was working on this and I thought, isn't that a picture of so many in the church today? Jesus is invited into our homes. We have Bibles on shelves galore that we never open, maybe uh, dust them off once in a while, right? Often he's invited into our homes and we treat him with politeness. But has he been welcomed in our hearts? Is there this great joy over who he is and what he's done. Does he find a welcome place in our hearts, even when he calls us to change? Because let me tell you, this woman is tears of repentance and joy. There's a change that's happening in her life. So she wipes his feet with her hair now, keep in mind that in this day and age, it would have been a disgrace for a Jewish woman to unbind her hair in public, right? But she, at this point, doesn't care what other people are thinking. All she cares about is worshiping, devotion, and, and love for Jesus. Uh, so she kisses and anoints his feet. Now. Like I said, this might seem a little bit odd to us, but the kissing is a sign of deep reverence and gratitude, right? So often they would be greeted with a kiss on the cheeks. This is going another level, another step with reverence and gratitude. Normally, it would be the head that was anointed rather than the feet. Uh, we're only. Uh, it could have been that that would have been her intent when she came. We don't know. She could have been overcome with emotion. It could have been that his feet were more accessible. It could be a sign of humility, uh, It could be that she felt unworthy to do more than his feet, right? We're not told that detail. We don't need to know all the details to see the big picture. Leon Morris does write, "Uh, Normally, this would have been poured on the head. To use it on the feet is probably a mark of humility. To attend the feet was a menial task one assigned to a slave. It is a fair conjecture that Jesus had turned this woman from her sinful ways and that all this was the expression of her love and gratitude. It is not clear whether she had met Jesus. She may simply have been among the crowds who listened to his teaching and had been so convicted that her life had been changed, or she may have been in unrecorded contact with Jesus. We don't know. Now, in Pliny's writings of the day, it was indicated, as I pointed out, we're talking ointment, not just olive oil. This is more expensive. Uh, Pliny also writes that to have the feet anointed as such was an extreme luxury. Right? So it wasn't something that was never done, but this was an extreme luxury. I mean, we're talking we spared no expense kind of luxury. We don't have to know all the, the particulars to get the big picture. So here's a woman who doesn't care what others think or how they feel about her. All that she cares about is expressing her love and her devotion to Jesus. And the way that you do that is through what you do right? So through her actions, she's honoring him. Now imagine how awkward the situation would have been. You're throwing this party, uh, this rabbi comes in, he's your guest, you have given him the bare minimum and, and, and just been polite, but you've not gone over and above anything, and now you have this woman with this reputation coming in, and she's crying all over his feet and slobbering all over his feet and You know, that wasn't the term that was used here, but you know, think about how you guys would be thinking, right? And and she's wiping his feet with her hair and anointing them. Think about how awkward this would be. So awkward, it even left people speechless. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner." So he said to himself, "He's continue." This is a point where he's being polite by not saying anything. You ever, you know, if you can't say something nice, this man's not thinking anything nice, but he chooses not to say it. So right, we're still on that level of politeness. He says to himself, "If this man were a prophet." Now, does that mean he suspected that Jesus might have been a prophet beforehand? Does that mean this is just confirmation that he wasn't a prophet, right? We're not given all those details, but he does have some presuppositions, right? Presupposition one, if he were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is. Now, as we go through the text, we find out Jesus knows very well what sort of woman this was, right? Presupposition two, if he were a prophet, he would not allow himself to be made unclean by the touch of a sinner, These are the things that are running through Simon's head. And presupposition number three, since he hasn't stopped her, he cannot be a prophet, right? That's the logic that he's running through. And this religious leader is about to learn that he has just struck out, defining who is and who is not acceptable to God. Jesus did, in fact, not only know who she was, but Jesus knows what he's thinking And more to the point, this is the kind of person Jesus came to save. And Jesus is going to declare that he is the one who makes one acceptable to God, for he is the one with the power and authority to receive and forgive sinners to any who come to him in faith. So remember last week, while we ended last week, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened or or laden, right? Jesus is the one who offers acceptability to God to those who come to him. So here we have a good old-fashioned teaching moment. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So despite what Simon is thinking and feeling, he still addresses Jesus with politeness. He addresses Jesus as teacher. Now the question remains if he will buy what Jesus is selling. He addresses Jesus' teacher, but will he learn from what Jesus says? Will he hear what Jesus has to say? Now, we can be polite toward Jesus without honoring him for who he is. But let me tell you, it's not politeness toward Jesus that's going to get you saved. It's faith. Faith that welcomes him, not merely into our homes or into our bumper of our car, Right? but welcomes them into our hearts. So Jesus gives him the short two-verse parable, verses 41 and 42. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, don't you love what Jesus does here? Because Jesus is going to ask Simon a question where Simon is going to give the answer that condemns his own attitude. Isn't that a master teacher? <laughs> yeah, he gives him a parable, asks him a question where Simon is going to give the answer that condemns his own attitude. So money lender had two, not one, but two debtors. Anybody think this parable pertains more than just the woman? Right, And the unusual act of the moneylender is not the focus, right? Very unusual. The moneylender could send them both to debtors' prison, right? The unusual act of the moneylender is not the focus, but the responses of those forgiven. And Jesus' question is, who will love him more? But don't miss, they both, whether the 50 or the 500, they both had a debt that they could not repay. Now, one life might be more sinful outwardly than another, But spiritually, sin is a debt that neither could repay. Everybody sees who who this picture is, the 50 and the 500, right? Now, Wearsby does write, and I quote, The parable does not deal with the amount of sin in a person's life, but the awareness of that sin in his heart. Her sins were known, while Simon's sins were hidden to everyone except God. And both of them were bankrupt and could not pay their debt to God. Simon was just as spiritually bankrupt as the woman, He only didn't realize it. Now, I love Simon's response, right? Jesus gives this parable. Who's going to love more than one that's been forgiven 10 times the amount or or the lesser amount? And look at Simon's response in verse 43. As soon as I find verse 43. I think it comes after 42 and before 44, right? Simon answered the one, I suppose... The one, I suppose, I I wonder if this is the point where Simon's beginning to think, I don't like the direction this is going. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Now talk about adding some insult to injury. The woman that Simon so disdained, he's now to learn a lesson from as Jesus gives the parable's application, right? You're right, Simon, verse 44. uh, Then he says, Uh, He says, Simon, you've judged rightly. Then verse 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, does anybody really think he hasn't seen this woman already, right? But he's saying, hey, pay attention to what she's doing. She's got a lesson for you. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, right? Oil being the cheaper alternative. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. Now, it's only as the text develops that we discover that Jesus has been invited into his home, but he's not found a home in his heart, right? His politeness is not the same as praise, uh, nor did it reflect that he had faith and trust in Jesus. So he says, you gave no water for my feet. This would have been customary, right? You know, their roads were dirty. We deal with potholes, they deal with dirt and stuff. Well, the... This is church. We'll be good. They dealt with dirt and stuff, right? So it was customary, right, to provide some water, wash feet. You know, you could have a a slave do it or at least provide water for them to do it. He says, you didn't give me any water. You didn't give me the customary kiss on the cheek. You've seen it in the movies, right? May not be an American thing. We hold out the hand for a handshake, right? They had the kiss on the cheek. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but look at what she did. You didn't give me water. She gave me her tears. You didn't give me a a kiss on the cheek she's kissed my feet you didn't anoint my head with oil she has anointed my feet with ointment you invited me as a guest but you've given me no honor you did no more than the bare minimum and many would argue whether even did that you're doing just enough to get by he might say that Jesus made it into the front door but he had but it's not really been quite fully open to him yet He's kind of giving Jesus a hearing, but he's not sold on what Jesus is selling. Now, unfortunately, I think there are many today, as we think about Christianity in America, who very well fall into a similar category, right? We grew up in a respectable home. We're viewed as good people in the community. We might be religiously engaged to a degree. We have a Bible or Bibles on our shelves Perhaps a wall hanging with a verse or two of scripture, maybe a bumper sticker on the car, a few t-shirts in the drawer, maybe we wear a piece of jewelry with a cross on it a time or two. But when we think about faith, it's about being polite to Jesus and often about just doing the, the bare minimum to get by, right? Polite toward Jesus, but life is more about doing the bare minimum, isn't it, if we're going to truly honor him. I think sometimes it's about just enough religion to make someone look good or feel good, but not enough to make you good. Glad to have Jesus at the table as long as Jesus doesn't start to interfere, as long as he doesn't mess with my attitudes, as long as he doesn't reshape my thinking, as long as it doesn't cost me too much. Glad to have him at the table as long as it doesn't interfere and change my life. The difference between Simon and the woman was that Simon didn't so much think of himself as a sinner while she's profoundly aware of her sinfulness and need for change. You know, many, uh, and I would include myself in this category, who weren't so outwardly sinful, it's sometimes hard for us to recognize that, hey, there were two debtors. One may have owed 500, one may have owed 50, right? Outwardly, it might look very differently, but inwardly the problem was the same. Guess what? Neither one could pay. Neither one could pay the debt. And the question is, is, are we going to love and be devoted to the one who paid our debt? The debt we could not pay? Are we going to be aware that all of us need Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, not just those who outwardly look more sinful than others? Simon had invited Jesus to his home, but she welcomes Jesus into her heart. Now, we have to be careful and be aware of reading these last verses out of context. So I'm going to read verses 47 and 48 again. 47 again, 48 we haven't read or I didn't read, Roger did, so I guess it's still technically again. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So, her sins, which are many, right? Jesus knew exactly what sort of woman she was, the sort that he'd come to save. He doesn't pretend that she's not a sinner, Rather, he reveals himself as the one with the power and authority to forgive sins. But we have to be very careful about verse 47, right? I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, is her love the basis for her forgiveness? Only one of you is brave enough to nod your head or shake your head, right? No. Her love's not the basis for her forgiveness. Her love is a description of what she just did, but it's not the basis of her forgiveness. How do I know? Well, because I read verses 49 and 50 as well. How about we do that? Let's read verses 49 and 50. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. The love is a witness to her faith. The devotion is a witness to her understanding. She's been forgiven, right? It's her faith who brought her to Jesus, the Savior. So, so then she expresses that faith through her love. In fact, uh, was it Galatians where Paul says nothing counts except for faith expressing itself through love? It may not be. It, it, it's one of Paul's writings. May, may or may not be Galatians. Somewhere it's somewhere in the New Testament. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Google it, right? He says, all that counts is faith expressing itself. That's what we see here with this woman. She's, we see faith expressing itself through love. Now, forgiving sins was the prerogative of God and God alone, right? In this text, what it's doing is, like so many, is it's, it's wrestling with who Jesus is, who is doing what only God can do, and it's also asking the question, how are we responding to him? How are we responding to him? Simon didn't recognize his need as greatly as she realized hers. And so Simon's doing the bare minimum in contrast to her over, above, and beyond love. But don't miss the fact that Jesus did accept his invitation. All right? So being polite toward Jesus is not the same as embracing him, but it wasn't just for the woman that Jesus came to save. He's also there to save Simon if he'll only recognize his need. You know, Jesus will take the religiously acceptable who come to him as well. He'll take any who will come to him in faith. And our standing before God is going to be determined by the attitude we have toward Jesus, not the status we have in the community or the church or those around us. So his prepositions, his presuppositions have been wrong. Back to why did he invite Jesus in the first place? You know, we really don't know for sure. This text doesn't tell us, but we can say some things just based on the text he didn't invite Jesus because he has a deep and profound love for him. Otherwise, he would have kissed his cheeks, given him water, greeted him at the, you know, uh, he anointed him uh, if he had a profound love. So he, so he didn't invite Jesus because he's already one of his disciples or has this profound love for him, right? Now, it's possible that he's looking to entrap Jesus. We do see Pharisees do that. It's possible that he's inquiring further, that he's still trying to figure out who this Jesus character is, Right? So that's possible too. We really don't know. What we do know is she came to the one with authority and power to forgive sinners. And the question at this point that the text leaves us with is, will Simon? Notice after Jesus explains the parable, we don't get a response from Simon. The question now is, will Simon? The question is, will we? Will we go beyond inviting Jesus into our home to giving him a home in our hearts. Will Jesus be welcomed in our lives? Is our desire not simply to do the bare minimum to get by, but to truly honor him through the expressions of our devotion and our love, whatever that may look like today? Because it's going to look a little differently than wetting his feet with your tears and wiping them with your hair. Are we doing everything to express our devotion and love to him today? Amen. And your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to uh, think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning. And then we invite you to offer that up as as part of your worship. Uh, and I'll just remind you again that you also have on there a chance to say, hey, I'd like to come to that congregational meeting next week. Uh, so uh, uh, make sure to, to mark that, and you can throw that in. And that's an easy way to communicate or, or email me as well. Um, but, you know, what I don't want you to do is come Saturday night, 8 p.m., say, hey, put me down for a sandwich because Ivani's is already closed at that point. The order's already been made, and the sandwiches will already be in the fridge here, okay? Now, before Saturday morning works, <laughs> but, but so well. better or sooner than later, and generally speaking, we always have plenty of food, so we'll take you whether or not you're on the list or not, okay? I think that's all the announcements we need to make there. This is a strange, you know, you come up to the pulpit a little bit late after time, it just throws you off your hole, puts you in your B game, okay? Uh, You know, uh, as I pointed out in the sermon, we do have to be careful with verse 47. Her sins are forgiven, for she loved much, because we have this tendency to to read a verse out of its context and not consider how the context shapes the meaning of the verse, right? Because if you just take that verse by itself and be like, this isn't what I thought the scriptures taught. Well, it's not. And if you put it in with verses 48 and 50, you're like, oh, now it fits perfectly with the scriptures because I looked at it in context. And as you look at it in context, she's forgiven through faith in Jesus, and the forgiveness is the basis. Uh, forgiveness is on the basis of her faith in Jesus, verse 50, and the devotion that she shows and the love that she shows is the response because she realizes how greatly she's been forgiven. The reality that each of us have, you know, whether we've been the one who is outwardly sinful and reputable to everybody who who knows that or whether our life has looked a little bit prettier in the halls of the church, all of us had a debt we could not repay. And it's a debt that's paid through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We all need him to be acceptable to God. And because we're saved by faith in Jesus rather than our works, notice what he says to her. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now let me tell you, this is something Jesus offers no other religion can offer. Because if you're being saved based on your works rather than faith, how good is good enough? How generous is generous enough? The only reason we can go in peace is because we understand we're saved by faith. It's through what he has done, not what we we do. And because we're saved by faith in Jesus rather than our works of love, we can go in peace. We can have confidence and we can have assurance that in Christ we are forgiven and reconciled uh, with the Father. And as we grow in our realization of what Jesus has done for us, theoretically, we should grow and our devotion and our love for him as well. So may our lives not be marked by doing the bare minimum, but by the desire to honor him as best we can as we recognize how great the debt was that he has paid for each of us. And so I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O glorious Father, as we come to this table, we truly recognize that uh, if there were any other way to come to you, then the death of Jesus wouldn't have been necessary but the death of Jesus was necessary because there was no other way to come to you. Whether we're more like the woman who was very outwardly sinful and sinful and and the eyes for all to see, or whether we're more like Simon where our sins were a bit more hidden, either way, we had a debt that we could not pay, and we just ask that as we come to this table that you would grow us in our realization of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and that you would just... uh, Spur our hearts to to have that same kind of desire as reflected in the one who, who realizes the forgiveness has been given, that we would seek to go out of our way to honor you and to be devoted to you because of what you've done for us. It is in Jesus' name we come. Amen. As you come, realize that Jesus has paid the debt for you, so there's no longer a debt that you need to pay if you've come to him in faith. May we receive his gift, and may we look for ways to express our thanksgiving and gratitude. We invite you to come.
1: I can't tell you the number of times that I have felt a nudging. Uh, Should I should I do that? Should I go out to that person? Should I talk to them? And the thing that keeps me cemented in my tracks is what will people think? What am I gonna feel after I do this? I mean, just like popping in late for for the beginning of service. Don't worry what people think, right? I think that sometimes we get so caught up in worrying about what people are going to think of us or how people are going to treat us thereafter that we are not um, so ready to be obedient to him. And I just, I pray all the time that I would get over that (laughs) and really worry more about the one who wants my heart. Um, He is the one that I should be concerned with in those circumstances. So, Let us um, just end today with Fling Wide, which challenges us to open wide the door to our soul. Open up the door to my heart. Have your way. And we'll end with that today. Would you please stand as we sing?
0: would like to say that was purposeful, me coming in late, but it wasn't. <laughs> a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. You know, whatever your life may look like outwardly, we all had a debt that we could not pay. May Jesus truly find a home in your heart as you go forth to honor and serve the one who has paid your debt. Go in his name, with his power, and in his love.